0: Thank you for tuning in to Ascend the Hill with Jeremy Ostill. Make sure to share and subscribe to this podcast so you're notified when new episodes are available. I want today to move into our summer playlist series and focus on maybe the most famous psalm in the whole catalog of 150 psalms, Psalm 23. And really, we're only going to spend time today in the first three verses because I felt that they were the, the three that the Lord wanted to use to speak to our hearts in this moment, at this time, uh, in the midst of the summer. How many of you know you can be in the middle of summer, which is supposed to be relaxing, but feel anything but relaxed in here? Anything but peace in here. Well, today we're going to talk a little more about the internal aspect of life than the external aspect. Psalm 23, interestingly, is written or it is a communication, a song, a poetic rendering that is attached to David's life when he was fleeing from King Saul. Uh, Most scholars and historians believe that Psalm 23 was written while David was starving. It it was written while he was malnourished. It was written while he was scuffed and scratched and and, and wounded because he had been navigating the jagged terrain of the wilderness, a wilderness area that was uh, notorious for being dry, arid, cracked, rough, rugged. And, and he would go from one cave to the next and likely at times in the cave could hear the sound of his enemy maneuvering. In the, in the dark of the night he could hear the calls and the orders given from Saul's army knowing that all of them were intent on doing him harm. He could count his ribs, his beard was possibly falling out because malnourishment has a lot of effects on the body. And in the middle of all of that turmoil, this song comes out of him. A song that is in direct opposition to what he was experiencing. A song that was in some ways a defiance internally of his external circumstances. It's one of the most beautiful pieces of art that the world has ever seen. Interestingly, in its original language, Psalm 23 has 57 words. It has 227 letters. According to Jewish scholars, the number 57 would be the equivalent of the word nourishment. The number 227 would be the equivalent of the word blessing. And so Jewish scholars have this belief that when this psalm is recited, when it is meditated on, when it is cherished, and when it is lived out, it produces a bounty of nourishment and blessing in the human heart. I don't know what you need today, but I could use some nourishment and some blessing in this human heart. I live in a world where I might not be going through what David has gone through in this particular detailed occurrence, but I live in a world where sometimes I can hear my enemy maneuvering. I live in a world where I feel like it lacks and I am starving for certain things. I live in a world at times that is filled with pressure and stress and anxiety and fear-inducing elements. But today you can be nourished and you can be blessed no matter what's hunting you down, no matter what's pressing against you, no matter what has spoken about you, you can be nourished and you can be blessed today. This Psalm 23 uh, is really a psalm about the soul. It is a psalm about the Spirit. Even though David is dealing with external difficulty and external lack, he does not say the things that we're going to read uh, to communicate about his outside world. He is talking about his soul and his spirit. The soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. Our thought life, our decision making, our our emotions and how they are governed. And so I want to just throw this thought at you here in the beginning. Nourishment and blessing of the soul and spirit are of greater significance than external or circumstantial nourishment and blessing. And, and we need to let that get deep in our hearts today because I, we spend a lot of time talking about, Lord, would you order the world around me? Would, would, would you fix the situation around me? But I think it's important that we become less concerned with all of this and we become more concerned with this right here. Because while we're waiting for His will to be done on the earth as it is in heaven around us, we can live with heaven alive on the inside of us. While this earth is still being brought into alignment with God's peace and God's joy and God's hope and God's healing and God's victory, right in here, peace, hope, joy, God's victory are alive and well. Can you say yes to that? I want to pray and then we'll get into the text. Lord, this is your day that you have made and you're in it. And we rejoice because you're in it with us. Now I ask over the next few moments that every lie of the enemy would be canceled. Every seed the enemy has tried to plant will be plucked out and removed. Lord, every assault and assignment of the enemy that has tried to corrupt and corrode our soul, Lord, that you would come against it today. I pray that fear would be gone, sorrow would be gone, anxiety gone, inferiority and insecurity. Let all of that stuff be gone today. Would you give us peace and joy and hope in the name of the Lord? If you want that, say yes. Thank you, Jesse. I appreciate it, man. I want to read the first three verses of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Say shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor To his name. The title of today's message is I Shall Not Want. I want you to just tell your neighbor, I won't want. That's tricky, right? Tell your other neighbor, you shall not want. Just go ahead and let them know they don't need to want it. And I'll I'll explain that a little more. I want to start with the simple idea, the Lord is my shepherd. We've already alluded to the fact that this was a season of David's life that was stressful and filled with distress. He was starving. He was in a rugged terrain. And interestingly enough, in the midst of such chaos, he hearkens back to his own original vocation Of being a shepherd in a field. He was well versed in what being a shepherd meant. I I do think, on one level, it's possible in the crush of life that David, in singing a song, just wanted to reminisce about simpler times. Has anybody ever, when it gets difficult, just tried to put yourself mentally and emotionally back here somewhere when it was not as stressful? When you had a different job that you had gotten figured out how to do that job, and that job didn't stress you out anymore. When when you and your family were in a different place, in a different time, and it wasn't as angst ridden. I, I, I don't know if you've ever done that. A lot of people use that as a defense mechanism, an escape clause, if you will. When things get difficult, we will try to mentally go back to another time in hopes of calming our emotions, calming our fears, calming our worry, a time when we had less responsibility, a time when we carried less weight, when we had less stress. I I don't believe that David was daydreaming here and I just want to submit to you that you don't have to try to mentally jump a bunch of hurdles to get yourself to another time and place for the stress to go away. Because the Lord is your shepherd today, just like he was back then. And and him being your shepherd, I believe what David was trying to say, uh, is that the shepherd is responsible for the sheep. He knew when he was tending the flock, they were his responsibility. Now, sheep had the capacity to go where they wanted to go, to make decisions on their own, to wander here, to wander there. And David knew despite their agency, despite their ability to move their little legs and go where they want to go, ultimately the sheep were not responsible for themselves to the degree that he was responsible for the sheep. That they were his priority. The word responsible means to have control or authority over something or someone. The duty of taking care of them. To be the person who causes something to happen. To be accountable. Now I I place a high value on being responsible. I believe in personal accountability Uh, as the pastor of this church. I own my responsibility in the decision making. I own my responsibility in the day-to-day life of this place. We have a staff and a team that does a great job and loves the body and loves the Lord well. But ultimately, it all ultimately is my responsibility as the pastor of this church. And I do believe we need to own our responsibilities, but if I'm not careful, I will live with the false assumption that I am more responsible for this than the Lord. And if I'm not careful, I will minimize and I will ultimately eliminate the Lord from the process if I don't acknowledge His responsibility over me. And that's the same in all of our lives. It is easy if you're not careful to believe it all rises and falls on you. That in our take ownership, take responsibility, be accountable mindset, if we're not careful, we will eliminate God from the equation and in doing so create a whole lot of stress for ourselves that is self-induced, self-imposed. I want you to hear this as simple as it sounds. It is monumental in significance. The Lord takes responsibility for you. He owns His responsibility for you. Even if we wander down our little paths into unusual terrain, He takes it upon Himself to come find you. He, if you're one of the sheep that just happens to wander away out of the 100, Jesus Himself has said, I will come after you, come get you, throw you over my shoulders, and bring you back into the fold. The Lord is committed to you. The Lord is responsible for you. I want you to hear this. No matter my commitment level, the Lord is more committed to me than I am to him. You you can be the most committed believer in this room. The Lord is more committed to you than you are to him. You can be completely uncommitted, but I guarantee you this, the Lord is committed to you. You can be distant, you can be detached, you can be disinterested, but that does not phase His commitment to you and His determination to take hold of your life. Every parent in the room will understand, my kids are my responsibility, mine and Michelle's. Now, they are human and they have brains, good ones. They got good brains. And they can make decisions. They have the capacity to choose. They're in process. They're growing. They're developing. They're maturing. No matter what they say, no matter what they do, no matter what they think, we're committed to them. And we take responsibility for them. I am responsible for their protection, I'm responsible for their provision. I'm responsible to nurture them and to nourish them. I'm responsible for the condition of their heart and their soul. While they're under this time of life, they are my responsibility. I'm attentive to them in ways they'll never perceive. I, I, I think about them and I am more mindful of them than they'll ever realize. As their father, every decision I've made since they were born has not been made without them going through my thoughts as a part of the decision-making process. They have no idea how much they're on my mind. Every parent knows. They have no idea how much focus I put on them. How much time when I'm away from them is spent considering them. They have no, no idea how much I think about their future. Who they're going to become. They, they have no clue how much effort I make in this time of their life to set them up to succeed in the next season of their life. They, they just they don't know that we're saving money. They don't know how we're maneuvering our finances. They don't, they don't know that that's not their responsibility to worry about. That's my responsibility and I own it completely and fully. And I just want you to hear this. You have no idea How much God thinks about you. He's watching you when you're not watching Him. The sheep are just eating the the grass of the field. They're wandering over here. They get distracted by a butterfly or a grasshopper. They go bumping into each other. They get aggravated and start bleating at one another. But the shepherd is perched on a rock and he is watching every move they're making. And he's watching everything you're doing. You have no idea how he has maneuvered and orchestrated, how he has situated the details surrounding you to set you up to be taken care of in this season as well as set you up for the subsequent seasons. Like He is doing stuff right now that's going to pay off 10 years down the road and you have no clue he's doing it. He is a good shepherd. He is a responsible shepherd. He's an attentive shepherd. You're his responsibility. Now the passage goes, "The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want," right? It says the, the version we read, says, um, it said, let me go back and read it, "I have all I need." But I like what the King James and the new King James says. It says, "I shall not want." There's two layers of "I shall not want." The first layer is that God has all the resources. God has all the provisions. And he will make sure that I have whatever substance, whatever thing I need when I need it. That he is possessor of all things so I don't have to worry about my needs being met or being taken care of. And, and that is good on an elementary level. But you've got to remember David is living with a great deal of lack. I, I don't presume as you read the text that he's really talking about his next meal. He's not necessarily talking about the day when he's no longer being chased wild by a wild animal. He's talking about a different type of I shall not want, which is a deeper level that all of us should mature to, to where it's not just about what I want and need out here, but he is all sufficiency for everything that I want and I need in here. And so that second layer is I have my shepherd, what more could I want? I have my shepherd. What else is there? He is all sufficiency. He satisfies my heart. He delights my soul. He fulfills my longings. His presence is precious to me. His love is gratifying. He makes me whole. I am content with Him. And there's a joy in being content, right? There's a joy in being content, Paul says it this way in Philippians 4, 11 through 13. I'm not saying this because I am in need. For I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Say learned. He learned to be content. It is a developmental process where you graduate from one season to the next learning how to be content. He said, I know what it is to have need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. There's that famous, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, which you usually see on a poster with somebody climbing a mountain. You know, a poster with somebody running a marathon, Pastor Danny, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Paul was not saying he could scale mountains, he could swim oceans, that he could, he could run across country. He was saying, I can live in the midst of lack or plenty, sick or health, alone or surrounded by friends. I can be content no matter what because my source For my soul is not found in my external situation. It's something deeper than that. My friend Heath Adamson, um, he, he says contentment. He defines it this way. The spiritual state in which our identity is no longer tied to what we have, feel, or even experience. It is this spiritual condition... Where no matter what I have or don't have, feel or don't feel, experience or don't experience, my identity is not attached to any of that. Another layer is contentment is the fruit of knowing who God is and who we are in Him. The secret is found in knowing God. The secret to contentment is not 12 steps and you'll be content. It is one step. God is who He says He is, and I'm going to spend a lifetime becoming convinced of that. I'm going to spend my whole life... Growing in my knowledge of God. That I will have it deep in me. That when he says he's trustworthy, I believe that. When he says he provides, I believe that. When he says he's good, I believe that. Now in our Americana, a lot of times uh, being content gets mislabeled. and, And people... At times, have have struggled with. Well, I don't want to be complacent. I don't want to be complacent. I've got to figure out how to be content, but not complacent. Complacent being like, I'm fine with where I am. I'm I'm good. I I, I don't I don't need to do anything else. Being content doesn't mean you aren't driven. It doesn't mean you are not determined. It does not mean you are not assertive. The difference between being content and complacent is work. That's that's really the difference, but let me add to it. The difference between being content and ambitious is why your soul is driven to work. Work is either driven by want or by worship. So, you just put it all together. Well, I don't want to be complacent. Well, how you can tell the difference between complacency and contentment is people who are content still work, they still put out effort, they still exert themselves, they still expend themselves. But a content person is not selfishly ambitious because all of their exertion is not because they want everything around them, but instead because all of their exertion is worship unto the Lord. And they have realized that the Lord is all I really want. My soul can't handle wanting everything else to the degree that it wants Him. I learned a few years ago my soul can't handle wanting anything but Him. That doesn't mean you can't have wants or desires. But I have to be very guarded that there is no competition in my soul or spirit over what I want most. That there is, there is no tug of war in me that I want money anywhere near to the level that I want Him. That I want success to the level that I want Him. That, that I want significance More than I want Him because it is with Him that I'm significant. All my significance is wrapped up in Him. Not in how big this church gets. Not in how how high you climb. I can't handle wanting things beyond wanting Him. And my concern for a lot of people is that we will exert ourselves climbing some particular mountain. We'll spend... A lot of mental strain, emotional strain, intellectual strain, relational strain, physical strain. Climbing a mountain only to get to the top of whatever that particular mountain is that we're climbing and realize there's nothing there for us. That it's just empty. That that it does not do for you what you thought it was going to do for you. And there are a lot of people on the planet, even godly people, who are climbing a mountain that is leading to nothingness because that mountain is not Mount God. It is only at the top of Mount God where everything in here gets filled to full. All of the other parts are maybe assignments that He has sent you into, but it is Mount God that you climb. D.L. Moody said this, Our greatest fear should not be a failure but of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. That should, that should be our greatest fear, that I'll get to the end and be successful, but it actually be nothing. Did it not matter. Did it not be of great substance. And when you get to the top of a mountain and you realize that's not the right mountain, it is disorienting. It creates disillusionment. Y'all want to share something. I I don't think I've ever shared this publicly. It's not a bad thing, but I've always felt um, a pause in my spirit about talking about it because I I just want to have a pure heart and I don't want to ever lean into pride. But as I was preparing this, I thought I'll share it. I think maybe a few people that are close to us know. Uh, In 2015, it's not that big a deal. I've set that up like, oh my gosh, what's he going to (laughs) say? Relax. (laughs) This is not a moment of confession. In 2015, I was approached by a dear friend who was um, the National Youth Director of the Assemblies of God. He worked in Springfield at the headquarters. Uh, And he sat down with me and Michelle across a table, a meal, uh, and he made me an offer. And he said, hey, I want you to come to Springfield, and I want you to be on our staff at the national office. I want you to be a part of the National Youth Ministry. I uh, even talked about, hey, I'll probably not do this forever. It'll kind of set you up, you know, to be to be next in line. But this is what he said. He said, "I want you to come, and I want you to travel all over the country, spreading revival." So that's what I want for you. 2015. I'm hearing this. I'm considering its implications, and I, I can start going through my mind all the potential things that could come of this. I mean, on the surface, it makes sense. Well, the Lord's given me greater influence. The, the Lord is expanding my borders. He's given me a greater voice. But I just, along with Michelle, we didn't feel the Lord in it. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't feel anything in it. Now, I, I can assure you, if that person would have approached me three years before, my bags would have been packed the second I got home. Because it was everything that an Enneagram 3, INFJ advocate personality type could ever want. Everything you could ever want. Get on airplanes, show up at places, be ushered to green rooms, stand on platforms, big ones all over the country. Get to go to district councils and stand on the platform at general council. I don't know. I know that doesn't mean a whole lot to you, but like all of the preachers all over the country, and stand and talk to the who's who of the assemblies of God. It it would have put me on the platform preaching to over ten thousand people uh, at national youth convention. Uh, it would have been good money. It would have been a ton of attention. A ton of attention. A ton of affirmation, a ton of celebration, if you will. But we just knew it wasn't the Lord's desire for us. But part of the reason it wasn't is because we had been in the middle of that time of discovering all the stuff that we wrote in our book, Let Your Heart Go Free, Like the Lord had taken me through a really intense journey of stripping down every source of validation and significance that wasn't found in him. And so it was almost a test of like, here's what old Jeremy would have wanted. Here's what old Jeremy would have salivated for. But this new version that is coming to know this good shepherd Said, no, I found something in him that was better. Part of the reason we said no is because the glory of the Lord had come to TYM. And it was really exciting to be in his presence in what we were doing. And part of the reason is because I didn't want to be away from my wife and kids 200 days a year. And so there are times when opportunity is presented to us. Scenarios are laid out that entice parts of us. That we have to get the revelation that this is not what my soul really needs. We made the choice instead to stand in that hot gym in Goodlettsville, Tennessee with 400 people. To sweat, to live under the cafeteria. To, to get sick three times a summer. To be uncomfortable... <laughs> Eight weeks straight, like mission trip, uncomfortable, eight weeks straight. We, 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 we made the decision to stay where there was no live stream. Where there was no big attention. We made the decision to, to stay and, and be appreciated for our gifts, but like not in a role where we get invited to the big table to make big decisions. Like we just said we're going to stay right here. And i tell you right now, it was a really good trade. Part of the reason it was a good trade is because on the nightly I would stand on that platform in that hot gym and I would look over here and in my peripheral vision was my son and daughter standing in what we called the foxhole as the presence of the Lord is moving and occasionally we'd see them as young ones lifting their hands and dancing around with their friends. It was a good trade, right? It was a good trade. Like It was a good trade to not... Stand on big platforms because I got to stand in the glory of the Lord. That's a really good trade. I'm, I'm certain of this. We wouldn't be your pastor if we'd have said yes to that. I don't think the Lord would have been mad at us, but I just realized there are things that I want that are inferior to Him, to having Him. It was a good trade. It was a good trade. Because the Lord is my portion and I shall not want. And having Him and being in the sweet spot with Him is better than anything else in this life. The being in communion with Him is superior to anything in this life. You know the passage goes on, verse 2 and 3, I want to read them again. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. Remember, it's a psalm on the run. This wasn't a statement about his surroundings. It wasn't a a statement about the situation around him. It was a statement about the state of his soul. That no matter what was going on around him, the shepherd was going to lead him into rest and lead him into quiet. Lead him into peace. I love what the King James says. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Sometimes he's got to make us lie down. I don't know what it's like for you. Now, there's some of you that go to sleep like that at night. I wish I could be like you. You you have it good. Like when your head hits your pillow, like you could count to three and you're gone. My goodness, what a treasure. I lay down and it gets quiet and this thing just starts... He makes you stop sometimes. What happens when the world stops? What happens when the activity is done? What happens when the business of yours has come to an end of the business day? What happens when there's nothing else to hold your attention? What happens in you when there's no diversion to distract you? What happens when you've ceased talking and interacting with the people around you? When when it gets quiet, when it's just you, isolated internally, what are the sounds? What what is the noise? What are the voices? What are the whispers? And, and, and I feel pretty confident in saying for some of us, the busyness feels healthy to us because when we're not busy, all of that stuff that is disturbed inside begins to talk. And all of the things that trouble us have now got margin to resume troubling us. Some of us in the room are restless. When it gets quiet, when, when, when you're stacking the dishes in the dishwasher, doing a mindless thing, when you're pushing the mower, doing a mindless task, although some of you, it's not mindless, I get it. Some of you are professional, putting the stripes in, the whole deal. I've already talked about my yard. My yard shows that I'm busy because <laughs> it's got a bunch of weeds But when you're doing the task where your mind can shut off, some of you fear creeps in. Stress, worry, anxiety, doubt. I I, I don't say this as an accusation against you. I say this as an accusation against the enemy. Stuff like fear and anxiety are the enemy making an accusation against the nature of God in your heart. That is the enemy trying to convince you that God is not a good shepherd, that God is not who he says he is. And so when you feel that stuff arising up in you, it is a lie against God. And you have to see it as that insecurity, inferiority is a lie against God. And when that stuff comes, you have to know that this right here has got to be quiet because it's not the truth. It's not an accurate depiction of who God really is. Some of us are just restless. You know, rest is not a day off or a vacation. Rest is a state of existence. A day off or a vacation, it creates a scenario where the activity is paused. Maybe where your body can rest. The demand is set aside. But you can be sitting on a beach and not at rest. You you can be sitting on the back deck of a cabin with a cup of coffee overlooking the fall foliage in Gatlinburg, but not be at rest. You, You can take a break from everything, but eventually your body is going to face the direction of home again. And I wonder if anybody has ever felt that drive home and it feels like with each mile the weight comes back on. Some of you are wore out in your soul, and in your spirit. Because no matter what you do geographically, no matter what you do in the place of diversion, you can't shake the weight that you feel. But I'm here to tell you, the Lord is your shepherd. And He's trying to make you rest in green meadows. He is trying to get you beside some quiet waters The Lord wants to do such a deep work in us where we no longer strive for approval. A whole lot of our stress and angst is because we're trying to earn approval. Some of us, we're still trying to earn God's approval. Some of us still live with the idea that i got to do a bunch of stuff to prove my worth to God. Sheep didn't have to prove their worth to the shepherd. They were valuable to him by nature of the relational dynamic. Some of us run from what shames us. We try to hide from what causes us pain. But the Lord wants to do a work in you to the degree that you don't have to run, you don't have to hide, you don't have to distract yourself. If you can see him as your shepherd who's taken responsibility for you and within him is all your heart needs you'll find rest for your soul. You know, Some of us resist the meadow. We resist the quiet. We, we resist the peace. For some of us, we are so used to the noise. We are so used to the chaos. Some of us are hooked on drama. We don't know what to do if we're not mad about something. We, we don't know how to function if there isn't something to be stressed about. Some of us will get out of one situation and we don't even realize it, but we're going to try to find another situation because we have begun to believe that all of that tension is what living really feels like. For some of us, the whole concept of peace is unnerving. The minute you feel it, you have mistaken it for a lack of productivity. Some of us think that all the drama is us being productive. That's been the life you've lived. That's what you came out of with your family. That has been the circumstances that you have, and it's become natural to you. But I'm here to tell you that this God of ours, His culture, His kingdom, His way is that you get to rest in your soul. And you get some quiet in your heart. And you get to drink from peace. You don't have to be dysfunctional. There doesn't always have to be something. I heard somebody say one time talking about it was raining. Well, it's something all the time. I mean, my gosh, what a... Just want something else. Something all the time. Well, it doesn't have to be something all the time. He wants to give you peace. You don't have to live with that kind of pressure. There's some men in the room that you always feel pressure. Look, I'm preaching to myself right now. You feel the pressure to perform, you feel the pressure to accomplish, you feel the weight of your family, you you feel the strain of the future, and you'll go down paths of like, what if I fail? What if I don't get it right? What type of problems will that cause for me and my family? Well, if I fail, I've lost significance. I'm just here to tell you, man of God, that there is rest and peace, and you don't have to live there. You don't have to live there if the band will come. I love what it says in verse 3. He guides me along right paths bringing honor to His name. You do know He put His name on you, right? We've all seen the memes and the little stories of a dad looking at their child saying, When you go to school, you got my last name. You better represent it well. And I, I, I am concerned that when we think about God putting His name on us, we think of it from those terms. Like God is pointing at us saying, You know my name's on you. You better act right. You, you, you know my name's on you. You better, you better not mess up my name. But what if, what if him saying, I'm going to lead you down right paths and bring honor to my name sounds a little different. My dad uh, had a construction company. Concrete finishing, concrete cutting. And he was elite at it. I don't, I don't say that with anything other than fact. He was elite at it. He, he was one of the top in his field in the Mid-South and when i say that like he he would he was responsible for for schools i mean every school in the county i grew up in he poured the concrete for and cut the concrete for finished the concrete he would do large malls i mean air traffic control towers uh, huge parking garages there were a couple of major sporting venues in in the memphis area that that he was the pick but of course sometimes you know, politics and things get in the way. But he was so good at what he does that, that people wanted him to do the biggest jobs. I can remember multiple summers working for him. Concrete work is no joke. I mean, we, we were doing one pour that was over a million square feet over the course of a summer. Hot. <laughs> I learned a lot. I learned I didn't want to do concrete. I remember scenarios where a finished job would not go to my dad's satisfaction. And he would pay for the slab to be ripped up and to redo it free of charge. Because his name was on it. The company was called All Steel Brothers. His name was on it. And so every slab was attached to his identity. Every bit of work was, was fixed to how he was known. And so obviously, when your name's on something, you are determined. There's some folks in the room, you know what I, when your name's on it, there's a different Tenacity. When your name is on it, there's a different level of care. When your name is on it, there's a whole other level of focus and determination. And so my dad had his name on it. And at times he was consumed with it. Obsessed about it. With trying to do it exactly right. The demand was high. God's name is on you. He said, I'll lead you down right paths, and in my leading you, I'll bring honor to my name. His name is on you, and He is committed to do you well. He is committed to bring you to completion well. He will be a good shepherd. He will help you find rest. He will lead you by quiet waters because His name is on you and His identity is attached to you as in who He is is revealed through you. He's that committed to you. He is that concerned about your well-being and the flow of your life because His name is on it. And so if in your life There are days when you aren't confident in how He feels about you because you don't feel like you've performed well. Days you don't feel great about yourself. Rest assured, He has put His name on you and He will bring honor to His name through your name. The Good Shepherd is committed. I told you all a couple of weeks ago, God is my favorite topic, not three steps to be a Christian. I hope what you're hearing is this God of ours is even better than you walked in believing. He's more committed than you believed when you showed up today. I shall not want. I was asked by one of our staff folks this week, what's your dream? Or cornerstone. And this is my answer. I've been asked what my dream is multiple times over the last two or three years. This is my honest answer. My dream is to walk with God. That's my dream. That is my greatest aspiration. That is my highest hope in life to walk with my shepherd, to be led by my shepherd to be in the presence of my shepherd. All the stuff that we talk about. Hey, we want to reach 14,000 people. We want to plant 20 churches. We want to have a school of ministry that launches 100 plus people into ministry. We want to raise a million dollars for missions or give a million dollars a year to missions. All those dreams. All of those aspirations. That's not the dream. The dream is him. The dream is being with God. God way more than doing for God. And when He becomes your dream, no matter how the doing goes, you still get to be with Him. He's become my greatest objective. My chief aim. My center desire. All of the other stuff is prophetic fruit to be plucked it's assignment that he sent me on but, but ultimately all of that's really in his hands too if it happens outstanding it happened because of him if it doesn't happen that's okay I still get him I still get to stand before him When it's all said and done, and gaze upon his splendor, and live in the overshadowing of his presence, and everything else in life, as wonderful as it is, is not enough. But he is my portion, he is enough. And walking with him leads to peace and rest. Why? Because he becomes the focal point. And all of the other stuff, the lies of the enemy, the, the, the swirling of your circumstances, fade in significance. They don't get the authority to put pressure on you. Because I'm just looking at my shepherd. I'm just watching my shepherd. I'm just focused on, I'm just glad I get to be with my shepherd. And I got a good feeling somewhere along the way, I'll get to drink some peaceful water and I'll get to lay down in some lush meadows. And even in that, the best part is he's with me. I want you to close your eyes. Thank you for listening today. Make sure to follow or subscribe and share this podcast on social media. Until next time, have a great day.